choir a hand this morning. Thank God for the handbill choir. Uh, bow your heads as I uh, pray, and then we'll jump right into our, our sermon today. Gracious God, I thank you for today. I thank you for uh, the opportunity for us to come together as believers, family, and friends, and loved ones. And uh, God, we honor you with our lives this morning. Uh, help us to receive uh, your word for our lives, to, uh, and then to go forth from here being doers of that word, and not just hearers only. Uh, bless this time, uh, in the precious name of Jesus we pray, amen. How are you guys this morning? You guys doing good? It's a wonderful day, right? Yes, it is. Okay, so how many remember um, the old DC Marvel comics? Am I the only one? Anybody besides myself? Now, I'm not talking about the new stuff that you see now uh, in the television shows and at the movie theaters. Long before that, uh, they had these things called comic books. Anyone remember those? Yeah, people used to actually read uh, these stories long before the imagination kind of got dulled down with, with movies and things like that. But I remember as a kid uh, watching uh, the Marvel of DC Comics. You remember the great characters. Uh, and so, so you guys remember the guy Clark Kent, right? Uh, yeah, there he is on the screen right there. That's the Clark Kent I know. I don't know what they're putting out now uh, in the movie theaters, but that's the Clark Kent that I grew up with. In fact, uh, it was black and white back then. Yeah. That, that's how long ago it was. Now, now here's the neat thing. Um, Clark Kent was just simply Clark Kent. I mean, he was an ordinary guy going about doing just ordinary things until back then, of course, he stepped into the phone booth, put on the suit, and then all of a sudden uh, you were able to see uh, the power and, and the strength. And he was able to make change in the world and go out and do wonderful things. And that was just the way it was. When he put on the suit, then you began to see the manifestation of the power that he had. Now, I remember that guy, if you guys remember the other guy, Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne, you remember him? Yeah, uh, he was a guy who was a millionaire. He inherited uh, uh, Wayne Enterprises, all of his money, all of his wealth. In fact, all of his prestige uh, could do nothing when it came to reaching out in the world as he did later on when he became what? What did he become? Who? Who did he become? Yeah, he became Batman. And then all of a sudden, as he began to put on the suit, then he became Batman. He was able to move about and do these amazing things. As a matter of fact, now what, what do you call Batman uh, when he skips church? Come on, guys. You guys ought to know this joke. What, what do you call? You call him Christian Bale. So, so that, that's... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Couldn't resist that. Thank you, Alan, for, for the drums. You guys remember Peter Parker? Yeah, he was that scrawny little kid that used to kick sand in his face. He was always struggling trying to get, get his little girlfriend. And, and he, he, he was a nice guy, but he just didn't have uh, what it took until... Until, of course, he, he put on the suit and then uh, we began to see that he had, remember that spidey sense? He just had that sense of just knowing when there was trouble and, and how that he could go about and intervene. And how could we get, forget um, uh, the great uh, 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 Chadwick uh, Bosman, uh, rest in peace, Chadwick Bosman, who, who in his role uh, went about being an ordinary guy, uh, just, just doing ordinary things and, and trying to discover who he really was. And then, of course, we, we know, if you know the movie, he was transformed into what we know as the Black Panther. I love those, those, uh, DC and Marvel comic characters growing up, uh, as a kid, especially those like, like, uh, like the Black Panther that looked like me. And it was just a wonderful thing, uh, to watch all of their exploits and all the, the power and the, and just the things they were able to do to make good, uh, in the world and make it a better place, the justice that they were able, uh, to come and to bring about. But you know what? For them, it wasn't until they actually were to put on, uh, this suit. Now here's the deal for you and I. 
Uh, the Bible tells us, us and, and we, we talked about it in our series all along the way from 2 Corinthians 5 that says that we who are in Christ, uh, we become new creations. And so the difference in us and those guys is this. See, we don't put on and put off our Christian character. In fact, we don't put on and put off Christ. Our, our, our strength and our hope and our power just didn't come uh, as a result of a Sunday morning experience or as a result of the band striking up a certain song. No, we walk, we live, uh, we walk out our faith. Uh, we walk, as it were, in the spirit of Jesus. We talk in the spirit of Jesus and we live that out every day. I am in Christ and Christ is in me. Say that with me. I am in Christ and Christ is in me. One more time. I am in Christ and Christ is in me. To be in Christ, beloved, is to live in Christ. Let's take a look now at our scripture uh, our series scripture from Second Corinthians five seventeen, as it's projected on the screen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. In other words, he gets a fresh start or she. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? Yeah, he's a new creation. In other words, he gets a fresh start. The old is gone and the, all things have become new. Today we're talking about what, what it means to uh, be in a new year and to uh, display new talent. Now, that's kind of tricky because uh, we're going to discover that the reality is we don't get any new talent. You see, the talent that you were born with, that God gave you when he created you, is the same talent uh, that you'll go out of this world with, I believe. In fact, God gave you all the talent, all the giftings, and all the ability that you need uh, to be all that you need to be uh, for the, his sake and for the sake of the kingdom of God. You, you don't need to envy anyone else's talent. You don't need to look over the fence and say, man, I want to be like that person. All you need to simply do is walk in the gifting and the ability that God has put in you as you are to live that out uh, in the essence of what it means to be a Christ follower and what it means to have all those giftings and all those abilities to be played out in, in your everyday life, because, recognizing that you are made in the image of God. We were made by God and he made us with unique talents and abilities. We were made by God and he made us with unique talents and abilities. So don't waste your time uh, envying uh, someone else's talent and giftings. God gave you your own. And the question is, what are you going to do with the talent that God gave you? One of the major tragedies of our time is that uh, uh, we, we don't live within our limitations. Yeah, we, we've got limitations, and sometimes we don't live within the limitations of our lives. In fact, uh, some of us have bought the lie that says, and, and, and I remember people saying that even when I was a kid, hey, you can be anything you want to be. Oh, you can be, you can be anything you want to be. And that's just not the truth. What you really can be is who Christ created you to be. You can be all that God created you to be, but you just can't be anyone that you want it to be. I mean, I remember uh, growing up as a kid in the backyard, man, uh, just shooting hoops. And I remember saying, hey, mom, you know what? I think uh, I think I'm going uh, to the NBA. I, I wasn't very tall, scrawny kid. I didn't spend time working out much at all. Matter of fact, I played basketball only every now and again. Didn't put in the work. But I said, hey, mom, I think, you know, I, I don't know if I need to do my homework. I'm going to go to the NBA. And then my mom said, no, boy, you ain't. That's what NBA stands for. <laughs> what you need to do is get in there. And get on those books and get an education. You see, I, I couldn't just be what I wanted to be because I wanted to be it in that moment. God created me with unique gifts, unique abilities. And the best thing that I could do is to develop those things, to, to walk in those, to focus on who God created me uh, to be. 
Uh, There's a great book by a guy I like, uh, Marcus Buckingham, that talks about playing uh, to your strengths. And I think uh, it is so true that way too often uh, we allow our children to grow up and we almost want to have them live out our ideas of what we think they should be rather than recognizing and supporting who God created them as. What if we, what if with our young people we looked at them as, as creations by God and says, man, who did God make you to be? Now, there are all kinds of great assessment tools out there. There's uh, Strengths Finders. There's Myers-Briggs. I mean, there are so many different tools for you to find out who you are and how you're wired and how you're made. I think one of the tragedies, again, of our time is that parents spend time trying to shape their kids into who they think. Young people spend time looking at athletes and, and rap stars and media personalities, and, and they want to be uh, Beyonce or Jay-Z and, or, or, or some character they perceive as this great talent instead of recognizing that God made you who you are, how you are for a purpose, and you have all you need in your design to be what God wants you to be and the very best that you can be. Uh, There's this new trend that we see uh, taking place in society today where, uh, in my time it wasn't so, but right now you see where where parents, man, they, they take their kids to football on Monday. And then on Tuesdays, they're, they're in soccer class or going to soccer. And then on Wednesdays, they're, they're signed up for ballet. And Thursdays, they're going, they're going to forestry workshops. And, and then what's the other thing? Zumba on Fridays. And, 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 and so, so we have parents who are trying to, to create in their children all these, these things and help them to find out who they are by, by putting them in these different tracks instead of taking time to recognize who they are and how God has made them. Uh, as I said before, uh, I grew up as a youngster, man, and I, and I wasn't much of an athlete. Oh, I, I played uh, some sports uh, with the guys on the street, but I wasn't, wasn't much of an athlete. In fact, I hated running. Yeah, I, I, I hated running and still do. I mean, I run two miles just about every day now uh, trying to shape my body. Uh, but, but, but I hate running. I, I, running in gym, I had to do that, so I ran. And then later on when I served in the military, uh, my uncle, Uncle Sam, he, he made sure that I ran every day. <laughs> Yeah. And then, and then in the police academy, I had no choice if I wanted to get through those 20 weeks of, of academy training, so I ran. But, but I hated, absolutely hated running. It just wasn't a part of me. Now, I hear, uh, and I know there's a guy who attends our churches uh, who says that, man, you know, once you, once you get into this one uh, place where there's this stride and all of a sudden it just gets easier, you just get into this flow and this rhythm. I'm just going to tell you, I, I don't believe that's true. If it is true, I've never reached that place. Oh, man, it's, it's not pretty if you see me run. Oh, man, it's, it's a terrible thing to see. I'm out there and I'm struggling and I'm huffing and puffing and just, it's, it's not pretty. I want to tell you a crazy story about a time when I had to run. And so this was a time when, when, when I was a young police officer and I commandeered a taxi cab. You guys know what a taxi cab is, right? Now, now, some of you youngsters, where's Kendra at? Some of you youngsters, you know, you, you, you may know about Uber, but back in the day, you see that picture there? We had these things called taxi cabs. They were usually yellow. That was long before you could just kind of call them up on Uber. And, uh, and so that was a checker cab. But right here in Cincinnati, and even I think in New York, places like that, they still have them. But, but I remember when there were taxi cabs driving about. And so I remember uh, commandeering a taxi. Now, back in the day, you, you, you couldn't you couldn't just push buttons and, and, and call a taxi. You had to dial. Now, again, Kendra, I'm sorry, but I, but we used to have these things that, that actually dial. Now, now the youngsters today, they say they're going to dial a number, but what they really mean is they're going to push a button or, or they use their thumbs now, but we used to dial. But on one particular day, one warm particular afternoon, I commandeered a taxi cab. Oh, it was a crazy thing. 
I was in the middle of the road and, and I couldn't catch up with the bad guy. So, so, so I was there bending over and I was huffing and puffing and, and, I, and I looked back and I saw a taxi cab coming towards my rear and I looked back, I whipped out my badge and I put my hand forth and, and I stopped him and, and I, I jumped in the back seat and all I said was, go, go that way. We're going to catch that guy. It, it was a, it was a crazy thing. But let me tell you how that started off. You see, it started off with me being a simple plain clothes officer that day, me and my partner, and, and we were trying to do what's known as a buy bust. So, so we were we were we were approaching a bad guy, a, a street level drug dealer on a corner, and, and and we were trying to buy uh, marijuana. And so uh, two things I wasn't good at then was running, just like I'm not good at it now, and I. And I, I was never good at buying drugs, even though I was in a drug unit. I mean, there was something about just not fitting in the role very well that the bad guys just always knew that I was 5-0. And 5-0, Kendra, that means there was a show back in the day that, you know, Kawhi 5-0, you won't, you won't get it. But, but, but they always knew that, man, no, that's 5-0. That, that's the police right there. I, I remember I would go up and I would, you know, walk in, okay, you know, I try to put my cool on. I used to say I grew up in the hood, but really Massaville wasn't quite the hood, but I liked that hood. Crit. Yeah, so I... I would go up and then in this day I walked up, you know, really cool. Yeah. And I had this, this cheesy smile on my face and that, that should have been a, a dead giveaway right there. I just didn't know what I was doing. And I walked up and I had my buy money with me because see what we would try to do is we would make the buy. And as soon as we got the transaction, it would be that gotcha moment. And I'll never forget. I walked up and I had my buy money and my partner with me. And I'm like, Hey dude, you, you got me a reefer. And I started smelling. He's like reefer. That was just a term that I heard back in the 70s. But, but but he knew that I was posing, that I was faking. And all of a sudden, he looked at me, did one of those numbers, and he snatched my buy money. And then he took off running, and I had no choice. I was like, oh, I, it didn't bother me so much that he ran. Because, frankly, people ran from me a lot when I would try to buy drugs. But, but he took my buy money, you see, and I had to give an account for it at the end of the day to the sergeant. So guess what I had to do? I had to run. And so I take off. My partner takes off with me. And all of a sudden, there begins to be this divide. My partner's up there. And of course, I'm like, hey, go. <gasps> Get him. He's got the money. And he's chasing me to run after him. And as the story goes, I look back, saw the taxi cab, stopped him, jumped in the back seat. And, and this is a true story. You, you, you can't make this stuff up. And, and, and now I'm in the back seat and I'm saying, hey, go. We got to catch the bad guy. We're, we're, we're driving along. This is a straight street downtown. There was nowhere for this guy to dip into a side street. And I drive by my partner, and I, that same cheesy smile, I do one of these. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, uh, long story short, I, I go down. I tell the taxi driver to pull down in front of the guy, jump out, uh, pull him out at gunpoint, take him down to the ground, and I get my buy money back. Yeah, I, I commandeered a taxi cab. It was a crazy, absurd thing to do. Totally ridiculous. But I had fun. Now, today I want to tell you about a time when Jesus commandeered a vehicle. You may not know it's in scripture, but, but Jesus commandeered a vehicle. It's, it's another, another crazy story that at first glance seems ridiculous. I mean, you'll read later on, maybe if you follow along with us in the next series, as we get close to the, to the Easter season, you'll see how that one time he, he sent a guy to a town and said, Hey, go, go get a donkey. It's going to be tied up. And if anyone asks you why you're taking him, just say the Lord has need of him. And that guy went and got that donkey. But on this occasion, this story that we're going to read right now, we're going to see how Jesus commandeered a boat. He, he took time uh, as he was standing on the shore preaching the gospel, uh, proclaiming the good news of hope and life. And then all of a sudden the press came. The people began to, to press in. Some gathered because they were curious. Others gathered because they were doubtful and just didn't believe 
he was who he said he was. And, and he stood there as a crowd pressed in. The Bible says he looked over and he saw two boats tied up. And then he did a, what I call a crazy thing. He, he walked over. He, he stepped inside of Simon Peter's boat. He stepped inside of someone else's boat. I don't know who untied it, he or Simon. But then he says, Simon, push away a little bit from the shore. And for some reason, Simon jumped in. We know him as Simon Peter. And then Jesus began to teach the word of life. Then he brought hope. Let's take a look at the story now as it unfolds in Luke 5, 1 through 11. Once when he was standing on the shore of the lake of Gennesaret, the crowd was pushing in on him uh, to better hear the word of God. He, Jesus, he noticed two boats tied up. Uh, The fishermen had just left them and were out scrubbing their nets. He climbed into the boat that was Simon's. He climbed into the boat that was Simon's. And then he asked him to put out a little bit from the shore. Uh, Sitting down there, he, using the boat for a pulpit. Uh, The Bible tells us that he taught the crowd. Uh, Let's stop right there for a moment. He he saw the crowd and there was this press. And the first thing we notice is that Jesus saw a compelling need. The crowds were pressing. They were looking for a solution. Some were looking for hope. And no doubt about it, there were those who were scoffers and doubters. But but there were those who who wondered, what what, what is life really about? And we see the press still today. There are people who are pressing all about us, just wondering, what is this world really about? And Jesus took time. To give answers to those who are confused and afraid about their tomorrows. It may be in the same way uh, that we can in our world today. Uh, Beloved brothers and sisters, uh, the press is real. The press is real. We see the press when we see people pressing in when they want to find peace in the middle of political turmoil. Uh, The press is real. Uh, We know that the press is real because we we see people trying to find hope in the midst of a pandemic that's ravishing our society and taking loved ones from us. We know that the press is real because we see uh, what what it looks like when injustice is taking place all around us and the poor and the needy and the homeless are suffering in ways that they ought not. We see the press and we know the press is real when we see and desire to see real criminal justice reform take place where equality of justice is meted out for all of the citizens in our communities. The press is real. We see the press and we know the press uh, when we turn on the news and we see uh, black-on-black crime when, and youngsters are killing one another in our communities at, at, at record proportions. And, and we know that there's a press that, to try to find out what in the world is going on. We, we know that there's a press to try to discover and figure out how are we going to deal with the poverty that we, we see in our world, poverty of soul and spirit as well as financially, uh, when, when we have people who are dealing with mental illness as a result of what's going on with the pandemic at all-time highs. The press is real. The world is ruling and pressing in, looking for answers. And only, only in Jesus are they going to find the hope that they need. The Bible says the, the crowd was pushing in on him, and Jesus noticed two boats. He noticed two boats is what it says. He noticed two boats tied up. The fishermen had just left them and were out scrubbing their nets. He climbed into the boat that was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from the shore, sitting there using the boat for a pulpit. He taught the crowd. And make, make sure you catch this. Jesus needs and wants what you have. 
I, I don't know why he chooses to need us. I don't know why he puts himself in, in a position where, where he looks to us to, to be the ones who, who, who allow ourselves to, to really surrender back what's already his to him. But he chooses to need you and I and what we have. And, and the question today is, what do you have that perhaps is tied up that could be released to help someone in the world uh, that we live in today? Jesus notices what you have. Not what you have in comparison to the guy next door or to someone across the seas in some other country. But, but what do you have? What words of hope do you have that, that could be the transformation agent uh, for those who are trapped in the press of life, who are looking and searching for real answers? What, what do you have? It's interesting uh, when we look at that passage that it says that uh, the boats were tied up. In other words, they were secure. We're, we're good at, at securing what's ours, aren't we? I don't know about you, but I know I am. That, that, that's my, my, my uh, pickup truck. That's my camper. I love my camper. Yeah, that's mine. Those are my my coats in the closet, my gloves. This is our parking lot. I know you want to use it, but it's ours. It's so easy for us to rally around and protect what's ours instead of saying all that we have, all that we are, and all that we hope to be really belongs to God. What is it that you have that you could surrender, that you're, that you're holding on to, that, 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 that's almost tied and bound, that's secure? In, in my driveway, I've got this little uh, two-seater uh, red convertible that's, that's been sitting there. I mean, I drove it maybe two times in the warm weather. Man, it, it's, it's basically tied up and secure. I got good insurance on it. But, but as I look around the world, I wonder, what good could I do with that thing? There are people who I see who, who don't have a choice but to struggle and walk to work and, and try to make their way in the cold, dreary weather that we've been dealing with from time to time. I saw a lady that seemed like she was in her 70s just walking and on the ice one day. And I'm like, man, what, what could I have done with that, with that car? Now, make no mistake about it. I don't think she could handle the five-speed of a two-seater. But, 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 I, but I wonder, what, what could I have done had I sold that thing and, and reached out and made a difference? What is it that you have? I, I looked in my closet, you see, the other day, and uh, a little cold. And I, and I realized, man, that I have over uh, five or six coats. Three of them I hadn't worn in two years. Oh, man, what, what is it that you have? I don't want to guilt you today, but I do want you to feel the conviction that I feel, the conviction that Jesus wants us to feel when we recognize what we have and the, the fact that everything we have, all of our talents, all of our gifts, our abilities, all of our treasures are to be surrendered to him. Jesus wants to get in your boat. He wants to get in to the very thing that you're using like Peter did to make his very living with and to use it to, to establish the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Are you willing to allow Jesus to step in? to your boat, into your world. The very thing that you use to make your living, whatever it is, Jesus wants to use it for good to see people draw closer to him in the kingdom. He, he noticed two boats tied up. The fishermen had just left them and were out scrubbing their nets. He climbed into the boat that was Simon's and asked him to put out just a little bit, just a little bit from the shore. Sitting there, Jesus using the boat for a pulpit, he, he taught the crowd. Jesus told Simon Peter, just put a little bit out from the shore. I wonder what it would look like if we just, just put a little bit out from our shore, from the safety and security of the places that we are. What if we, we put out a little bit more time and we came to church just 30 minutes earlier and helped out passing bulletins uh, to our guests as they come into the door and our regulars? 
what if we just put out a little bit from the shore? Not a big jump, but just a little bit and said, man, I can't do a whole lot, but I can sign up for Wiz Kids maybe, maybe once a month or maybe I'll be the one who will help bring snacks one day. What if we just put out from the shore and allow Jesus to have what we have just for a little bit? He, he asked Peter to, to push out for a little bit. In verse 4, verse 4, it says this. This is the craziest thing of all. It says, when he had finished teaching, when he had finished teaching, I don't know how long Jesus had been preaching and teaching the crowd, but I do know there was a captive audience there while he was teaching, and it wasn't just the crowd. Simon Peter had to sit there as he pushed out from the shore. Uh, he wasn't a Christian. He wasn't a, he wasn't a Christ follower. He struggled with his own doubts of unbelief and, and doubt and wondering if he really was the Messiah. But he, he sat there and, and Jesus, not only took advantage of the opportunity to, to preach to the crowd, but he, he, he took the opportunity to, to make a difference in the life of Simon Peter. It's amazing to me that, that Simon didn't know Jesus yet. I mean, he sat there cleaning his nets. He was tired. Maybe he was listening a little bit to the crowd, but he didn't know who Jesus was. The amazing thing is Jesus enlisted him in the work of the ministry even before Simon Peter ever knew who he really truly was. Do you see that when you look at that passage? He, he, he took time to get in Simon Peter's boat and then he said, hey, Peter, why don't you come along with me? Get in the boat and let's cast out a little bit to, to, to a little bit from the shore. And the Bible says he taught and guess who helped him do the work of the ministry? Yeah, it was Simon Peter. The guy who later on, as you're going to read about it, said, man, Jesus, just, just leave me alone. This holiness stuff is just too much for me is what we're going to read about that he says later. But, but Jesus has a way of using people who we consider to be lost, bad, unchurched, irreligious for the sake of taking the message of hope to the world. I wonder what would happen if, if you guys took a moment to invite someone to help you out in the work of the ministry that you do here at College Hill Presbyterian. I wonder if the choir, I wonder what would happen if this season for, for, our, for our spring uh, Easter uh, musical, I wonder if we just as a choir invited two people, just two people who we, who we knew didn't know who Jesus was to come out because they have a great singing voice and just to sing along with us in the choir. What difference could that make? I know there'll be some who say, man, we don't really know about him or she. They, they didn't go through exploration class yet. I don't know if they've been baptized and I don't know if they really even know. Jesus didn't care, man. He, he, he saw the life of Simon Peter and says, Peter, let me get in your boat and why don't you push away and allow me to do uh, the work of the ministry? A couple months ago, man, I, uh, my heart leapt within me as, as Barb Enderly shared her story up here at College Hill Presbyterian Church, and I didn't ask ahead of time, so I apologize if I'm not going to. But, but, but the amazing thing was she said that, that someone invited her to sing in the choir I mean, just invited her to come in. She wasn't steeped in her faith yet. She might have had a sense of belief in who Jesus was, but she wasn't quite there yet. But someone invited her into the game to, to, to take part in the reindeer games and to become a part of something that was bigger than herself. Same thing Jesus did there with Simon Peter. And look at, look at Barb now. When I first came here, there was nothing like the joy of seeing Barb step up to the plate. The smile on her face, the passion and the love for Jesus was just so infectious. But you know what? It all started with someone inviting her to a space, even though they, they weren't sure where she was with Jesus. Uh, this year, man, invite someone to come help you at the front door with bulletins. Invite someone uh, to come out and help you on Whiskey's Night. Invite someone to help you make coffee in the morning if that's your thing here. Whatever it is you do, you can invite someone along with you. What, what, if, what if one of our elders said it? One of, one of our session members said, hey, Drew, I've I got a neighbor. He's only 30-something, but he's a business major. Would it be okay if he just came to one of our session meetings and just sat in for a little while? 
just to see what it's like for people who are godly men and women who understand and care about the business of God, the most important business there is ever. What if we allowed someone who didn't know God to, to just taste and see that the Lord is good? <laughs> when he finished teaching, he said to Simon, verse 4, this, this is when it gets difficult. He said to Simon, push out into the deep water and let your nets out for a catch. First, he started on the shore saying, push out just a little ways. And now, now when everyone else is going home, now when the crowd is dispersing, church is over with, you see. Now he said, Simon, instead of going back to the shore, go out into the deep with me. I wonder if some of you are willing to go out into the deep places. He said, Simon, go out into the deep water and let your nets out for a catch. Verse 5 says this, Simon said, Master, you, you don't understand, man. We've been fishing hard all night and haven't caught even a minnow. We've been fishing hard all night. We worked the night shift. I bet Simon was tired. Have you ever been tired? And Jesus is asking you to go a little bit further. Have you ever been worn out, exhausted? And it would seem the thing to do would be, be to back up and just to chill out. But no, Jesus says, Simon, go out into the deep. And the powerful thing about the scriptures is that he didn't go alone. Jesus was still in the boat with him. Master, we've been, we've been fishing hard all night. I, bet, I, I know he had to be tired. But see, he pressed on anyway. And my, my challenge to you is to press on. E- e- even when it seems like that it gets frustrated, some frustrating sometimes working with the little crumb snatchers in Jesus University. Don't give up, but keep working at it. Even when it gets frustrated and it gets tough working with, with the little, little kids up there in children's ministry. Man, I, I'm not one that, I, it's not my area, but, but, but even still, if you're working that area, sometimes I know it gets tiresome. Press on anyway. There's a great reward on the other side of our diligence and our faithfulness. Jesus, I know it wasn't Jesus. One of the apostles said, man, work while it's day because nighttime comes when what? Nighttime comes when what? When no one will be able uh, to work press on anyway. I I believe that there's something that happens when when you're tired and when you had enough of doing it your way. I think there's something miraculous that happens when you're you're tired and and you're worn out of having it doing your way. Put your trust in Jesus' word. Don't let the press stop you. Press on into the deep. Jesus is still in your boat. There's this this current current trend and this movement uh, that I'm hearing about more and more in the day that we live in. Uh, Christians are are falling for what I call the great lie. We we get in the season that we're in right now the sense that we ought to just draw back a little bit. Oh, Daryl, it's tough right now. Oh, Pastor D, man, these are hard times. Uh, People are are losing their lives. We we ought to just kind of draw back and, and get this ease mentality. Daryl, you don't understand. There's this malaise that's happening right now in the Christian world. And people are just drawing back. And sometimes people even use good words. They say, Daryl, we, we ought to just kind of draw back and, and go into this monastic kind of rhythm of life where we just pull aside by ourselves with Jesus. There's this, this trend that says that we ought to just draw back and sit down on our laurels and just let, let the things happen in the world that just happen. But I say when the church is the church. As it was then, the Bible tells us later on that Simon Peter, man, he turned the world upside down for the sake of the kingdom, even in the midst when they were killing Christians and putting them uh, to the stake, even when they were being tossed to the lions, even when Jesus himself, when they were hunting him down to kill him, the Bible says that he went on about doing good. 
Don't hunker down. Don't, don't, don't lay low and say, we're just going to wait till the season passes. These are tough times. You're going to wait. And make no mistake about it. I don't want to make light of it. These are tough times indeed. But have there ever been times when we have not seen tough times? Have there ever been moments in our, in our existence as a humanity when we haven't gone through difficult times? And make no mistake about it. This very thing may cost you or me our very lives, you see. But here's the good news of the gospel. This world is not my home. This world is not your home. If you are in Christ, you're a new creation. I love what Jesus says when he lost his friend Lazarus. <laughs> Lazarus is just asleep. The one who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus said, no, man, I am the resurrection. Oh, I preached that many times at funerals. Jesus says, you see, we think that it's just an event. It's something that takes place. But no, Jesus says, I am it, man. I am the resurrection, the one who lives in you, who moves in you, who has his being in you. And if we would live in Jesus, walk in Jesus, not put him off here and there, but go into the world and make a difference for the sake of Jesus, the world would be a better place, even in these difficult times. Don't draw back. Don't fall into this ease mentality and and, and, and buy into the malaise, into this monastic rhythm and says we need to hunker down and lay low until things blow over. I, I don't know, saints, if things will ever blow over. Yeah, I, 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 can't, I can't promise. I don't know. But I do know this. Those who are in Christ, and some of you may not be, those who are in Christ, we're, we're new creations. The old stuff's past, the old doubtful way, the old way of trusting ourselves, of, of look, looking at our own talents and abilities and gifts and, and putting our confidence in that, that, that's past. The new has come. Verse 7, Simon said, Master, we've been fishing hard all night and haven't caught even a minnow. But if you say so, <laughs> that's the key, right? If you say so, Jesus, I'll let out the nets. It was no sooner said than done. A huge haul of fish straining the nets past capacity. They waved to their partners. That's what Simon did. They waved to their partners in the other boat to come and help. They filled both boats, nearly swamping them with the catch. <laughs> I love this part. Simon Peter, when he saw it, man, he fell to his knees. He was overwhelmed. He fell to his knees and said, Master, leave. Leave. I, I'm a sinner. And I can't handle this holiness. Leave me alone. I, I wonder what will happen if you guys do invite people here and they're sitting here and week after week they have to hear and listen to the lyrics of those songs that you select week after week that talk about the goodness of God. I wonder if there will be something on the inside that will say, man, I, this holiness thing may be a little bit too much. And maybe you can say like Jesus said, oh, fear not. <laughs> That's what he told Simon Peter. Verse 10, Jesus said to Simon, there is nothing to fear from now on. You'll be fishing for men and women. They pulled their boats up on the beach, left them, nets and all, and they followed Jesus. Man, Simon Peter made a major debt uh, for the kingdom of God in the world that we live. Many churches still today are named after Simon Peter. He had problems, though. The guy was given to anger sometimes. He, he, he went rogue and hacked off a dude's ear one day. But he, he loved Jesus. And, and, and it goes back to that, that day, that day when Jesus saw him right as he was, looked over, stepped into his boat, and said, push out a little bit from the shore, would you, with me? Jesus wants to step into your boat, into my boat. He wants us to get out of our comfort zones and to push a little bit away from the shore. My prayer for you today as I close is that you would have one of those from now on moments. From now on, 
You'll serve more than you ever served for the sake of the kingdom of God. From now on, even though you're tired of working, uh, you'll still press on even more, knowing that there's a, a rich reward that comes to those who, who give themselves for the sake of the kingdom of God. From, you'll have a from now on kind of moment. So from now on, instead of watching people as you walk into the door receiving your books on Sunday mornings, you'll say, Daryl, man, I, I can serve at least 15 minutes before service starts. That's good enough. Maybe you'll have a from now on kind of moment. Instead of grabbing your coffee as you go out to your car, maybe you'll take time to say, man, from now on, I'm going to help out and serve coffee before the second service. Maybe maybe you'll have a from now on moment and you'll say, man, you know what? We, we, we can't even have a, a, a Easter service on Sunday where we have two identical services because we don't have enough people to serve in children's ministry for both services. We have to have one that's a little bit different from the second because we don't have enough workers. But maybe you'll have a from now on kind of moment where you'll say, from now on, man, on a holiday like that, I, I can serve in children's ministry. My prayer for you is that you have one of those from now on kind of moments where Jesus looked at Peter and says, hey, your talents, your gifts, I'm going to use them for the sake of the kingdom. Hey, bow your heads with me as I close in prayer.